Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. We're heading into another episode in the series about relationships and how they've been strained during coronavirus. We've had so many elements of our lives completely upended, but one of the ones that's been the most heartbreaking is the fact that relationships with family members and friends who we love dearly and respect profoundly, we're finding that it's surprising for many of us that we see things so differently during this most heightened time of concern and anxiety and It's troubling because our friends and our family members who once were our foundation and our support system, maybe because of seeing things differently, maybe we don't feel that support from one another. So last episode, we talked about our beliefs that we have and we held and we continue to hold and how those beliefs then as we stepped into March of 2020, how those beliefs would have framed for us what we experienced and witnessed throughout the last couple years. And the second element that I want to tackle from a psych perspective and share what psychologists might understand about uh, and what therapists can help us perhaps have a better grasp on what we're going through in general, and certainly when we're talking about our relationships, is fear. And fear is something we talk about on Love and Life. Typically, with our community, we're talking about fear of being alone or fear of being single or fear of not having that relationship that we so deeply desire. And fear in general is a powerful emotion. So here to help us unpack fear in general and then also how it may have affected and influenced our connections to those we love so deeply is Kate Lambie. She's a psychotherapist, and you guys have heard her come on to talk in the past about ACT and about some other topics related to her work as a psychotherapist and what she's learned from the clients she interacts with and through her professional experience. Kate is here to do a deep dive into fear and how it has impacted the last several years. So Kate, welcome back to Love and Life. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I think this is a really important topic to really have a discussion about. And I'm just really, I'm really honored and excited to talk about it with you, Karen. So thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate you being willing to talk about it because things have been so intense when it comes to relationships over the last couple of years and friendships have been strained as we're talking about today. And I appreciate you being willing to share your thoughts and your feelings and your heart. And again, what you've learned through your professional experience and your work with your clients. So I do appreciate you being willing to tread through some of these uh, dicey waters. So thanks so much. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk initially about fear in general. And I know that many people, when they experience, it could have been a a biology class even, and talking about what, how humans respond and react biologically to fears, maybe where most people have come across the notion of fight or flight. And we frame our understanding of 
fear and threats. And we see how animals do one of the two. They either flee to get away from a threatening adversary. And we see the same with ourselves. But you can speak to this in depth because recently psychologists and therapists have realized that there's actually a couple other responses that would be worth exploring when we're talking about fear. And that would be to freeze or fawn. And I think recently you just mentioned that there's a flock response too. So can you speak to those just a bit? Sure. Yeah. So yeah, as you kind of shared the typical fight or flight people tend to know in the fight would be, you would see the response being aggressive, aggressive behaviors, aggressive, verbally aggressive, physically aggressive. You would see Mm -hmm. flight as a response and that's really to flee and run away and can also look like avoidance. The freeze or fawn is definitely a response as well. And freeze is more so like a numbing, almost a dissociation, and really having trouble making decisions. So really, it's really like a big shutdown. You know, in the wild, we would call it playing dead until like the threat passes. So everything kind of shuts down. That would be the freeze. And then the fawn response is more so of a people-pleasing response or an appeasing in order to make the threat go away or lessen. Yeah, like let me look as adorable as a baby little fawn and mm-hmm. and hope that I can somehow appeal to your to the threat's mercy or uh, protective element if there's anything there whatsoever that can be appealed to. Yes. I mean, it's it's pretty much, you know, if we're talking relationship trauma or developmental trauma growing up, if mom and dad are scary, well, we are maybe going to fawn and try to appease them, be very compliant children, people-pleasing children, so that we do not have to experience the wrath of that parent. So that's like, right. a, that's like an example of fawning. And then the last one is flock and flock is more of a collective response Mm. and it entails individuals experiencing shared and persistent burdens connecting to access share mobilize and sustain use of resources for positive adaptation yeah so finding your community which is a great thing but when it's coming from a place of i don't feel safe in the face of this threat so i'm running to find people who are like-minded and who I can trust. Yeah. 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 Totally. Well, we've definitely seen that during the <laughs> pandemic, haven't we? <laughs> Just a little bit, you know. Just um, right. You talked about experiencing trauma from threatening parents and these unhealthy dynamics in childhood. So often our responses were adaptive. They kept us alive. Mm. They were survival mechanisms. Sure. And so they're very deeply rooted in our psyche, probably biologically, that we've created neural pathways that reinforce these responses. And again, they make perfect sense if there's any part of us that goes, wow, that was an interesting, we react in a way and we go, huh, we reflect on it and go, that was a response. But to our bodies and to the history of our experiences, that makes perfect sense because we're thinking, I did that as a child, it kept me alive, and here I am today. So why wouldn't I do that in the face of an adulthood threat? Sure, definitely. And I think it's really important. And I really wanted to share a little bit, if I can, you know, when I'm working with clients, how I share the understanding of the fear response. And basically, what I say is fear is our nervous system, or as I like to say, the protective systems reaction to a real 
or perceived threat to our survival. And that can be physical and that can be emotional. And that can be emotional because we are social creatures who are interdependent on each other. And so that requires cooperation, acceptance, belonging. And so when those things are threatened, we respond automatically. We each have our own response. And I think the most important part of this for everyone to realize, and it's it's part of that normalizing process, you know, within therapy, is no reaction is wrong. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no right or wrong when it comes to safety. And that's really what we're talking about is people needing to feel safe. I think that's so, so important. And I'm so thankful that you brought that up. And with the empathy that I hope, I I do hope that this conversation and this series Mm -hmm. will help us step into, because to your point exactly, Kate, my response to what will make me feel safe may be threatening to someone else. Yep. So now I'm the threat too, right? Yep. Right. Aside from the outside threat of this pandemic, yep. then my personal response, what you're saying, no response is wrong, right? And so I'm responding in a certain way. And yet someone else now sees my response as threatening to them and their safety. And so we can see how this could really snowball into something really sad. Just sad. I don't know how else to put it. Just sad. I think that it's despairing, right? And especially seeing everything on the news, right? And hearing of relationships and personal relationships. It's painful. It's painful in itself, you know, and seeing these things and trying to make sense of it. But I really do think, Karen, that's why I was so important for me to kind of, I love this topic and talking about it is, is we do need to talk about it. And we need to get to the root, right? Because when we get to the root, then it can help us figure out and sift through maybe some of the other things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I appreciate because I really respect and honor your approach as you've moved through this, because as we've talked about again, and full disclosure, everyone knows we're besties. And so <laughs> they, they know that we were having these conversations for the last two years. But to be fair, a lot of people I am close with, we're not talking about these things. No, we're talking through social media. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, we know how effective that communication <laughs> is. <laughs> I'd love to connect with you via my weekly newsletter. Joining the Love and Life email list ensures you're the first to know everything going on in the Love and Life family. You'll receive insider perk pricing for consultations and events. And it's the best way to keep in touch when I do what the research suggests is very healthy and take breaks from social media. Subscribe on my website, loveandlifemedia.com. And as a bonus, you'll get my free Empowered Dating Playbook. You know, on this note, we were talking about how fear can hijack our normal cognitive functioning And you sent me something. I said, I want to look up some of the research because I was aware of how when we are facing a threat, we go into survival mode, as we've been speaking to for the last few minutes. And then we biologically and neurologically, we shut down that more evolved, rational reason-making part of our brain because the brain's like, listen, I don't have time to really critically think through this because it's a threat that's so dire. I must now act in this very 
quote unquote, more primitive manner. And you sent me something by Dr. Bruce Perry, which I thought was really poignant. And it talks about when we're faced with frightening situations, that yes, our brains will shut down the highest cortical regions first. And he says we, we lose the capacity to plan or to feel hunger even because neither is of any use to us in our immediate survival. We lose the ability to think or even speak during an acute threat. We just react. And as you were mentioning earlier, that with prolonged fear, like someone who's grown up in just sustained trauma of a very painful home environment, that that lingering terror especially in early life, can cause an enduring shift to a more impulsive, more aggressive, less thoughtful, and less compassionate way of responding to the world, which the underpinning of this conversation is for all of us to lean into our empathy. But as he's speaking to here, that that compassion can go by the wayside as well. Because like I was saying a moment ago, the threat is too overwhelming and it's everywhere. It's pervasive. Yes. It feels like it's from externally and then even internally in terms of those dynamics between friends and family based on these choices that people are making as they move through this. Yeah. I think when we think about how you just described how the brain shuts down, right? And the neocortex, we're not able to regulate. We're not able to make decisions clearly. Basically, stress and empathy cannot exist at the same time. And I always use, and you can't see my hands, but I kind of use them as like an up and down graph, right? So when one is high, the other is low. That's really good. I've never thought of it quite in that framework. Yeah. And so when we're really stressed out, we're going to have a hard time regulating and thinking clearly about, hmm, maybe I shouldn't say this to this person because this is really going to be hurtful to them. Right. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a lot of that last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's just like a really practical example. Right. Yeah. And that's why, you know, in communication in general, you know, we always want to teach um, self-regulation first. Right. Communication cannot happen without regulation and without feeling safe. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. And explain self-regulation. Just elaborate on that, please. Yeah. So it's it's basically self-regulation is the ability to manage or recalibrate. Ooh, I like recalibrate. Right? That's what recalibrate mm-hmm. to kind of our normal day functioning where we can think clearly, our breathing is even, and we can make decisions, all of those things. We're back to our regulated, recalibrated, normal day-to-day functioning, right? Now that's also everyone has a different normal, right? <laughs> but, right, right. <laughs> you know, but regulated enough, again, for that neocortex to be able to come through. I feel like in a way it's emotional maturity, but I don't want to, that sounds pejorative to someone who might say, well, I'm mature too. I just self-regulate differently or my self-regulation looks different, like you were saying. But I do feel that that is an element of it. You know, what I used to teach when I was working with my kids in, in the child welfare system in Chicago years ago, I would you know, there's some kids getting into trouble at school, just try to take 10 deep breaths before reacting to whatever was happening on the playground. And you're trying to teach that ability to create a little distance. You know, it feels very act here now. I'm talking about the psychological flexibility and defusing. Definitely. definitely. Right? Yeah. I mean, all of the modalities really, I mean, and approaches really have that at its core. We can't do any of the work if we're not regulated. And that's why this work, 
that, you know, and I'll kind of share some trauma gurus, Dr. Dan Siegel, Dr. Bruce Perry, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk are all doctors that have done amazing work in research and teaching regarding trauma, brain development, neurodevelopment, all of that. So it's just really important. And they've all written books too. And so I would definitely urge your audience, if they're interested in brain development of trauma, of any of that, to really look into any of their works. They have some great books and lots of information to offer. Yeah. And I want to hit on another element of what you sent over to me from Dr. Bruce Perry again. He talks about that the systems in the brain change in a, quote, use-dependent way, just like a muscle, Mm -hmm. the more a brain system is encountering that stress response, the network gets exercise. And this goes back to what we've talked about before on Love and Life, the neural pathways are exercised. So those neural connections are stronger and therefore more readily available to us. And so that becomes our default mode. So someone could get, unfortunately, those neural pathways could be strengthened such that their default mode is to react in a way that keeps them away from their self-regulating ability in perhaps a way that doesn't serve them and doesn't serve to create and cultivate the relationships that they want, but may place barriers in their relationships. And he says at the same time, the less the cortical regions, which usually control and modulate stress are used, the smaller and weaker they get. So exposing a person to chronic fear and stress is like weakening the braking power of a car while adding a more powerful engine. You're altering the safety mechanisms that keep the machine from going dangerously out of control. But on the flip side of that is we can strengthen through exercises to help us solidify and strengthen our self-regulating processes. We can strengthen those neural pathways that would be more adaptive and would serve our goals more readily. I just, I love his work and I, you know, Karen, I would love for you to also read more into that. I think it's just such fascinating things. And he very much came up with the bottom up approach that our brain develops from the bottom up, from the inside out Mm -hmm. and all based on kind of like what you shared, that kind of like the metaphor of the muscle, right? And so the traumatized brain really having that that brainstem muscle really, really strong. Have you heard? You can now listen to my book, Single is the New Black. Don't wear white till it's right. As you know, I wrote the book I wish had been available to me when I was single. So obviously, it's not about how to snag a man. Rather, it's all about how to stay strong amidst single shaming and remain true to yourself and never settle for anything less than an extraordinary relationship. Find it on Audible or iTunes. And for a free sample, check out Chapter 11 of Single is the New Black in Episode 145 of Love and Life. So yeah, let's take these different reactions and ways of managing and trying to find safety in the midst of a threat and in the midst of a fear response. Let's flesh these out. So we've definitely seen a flocking with people taking sides that are very polarized at times and finding their community and feeling safe therein. And I think, unfortunately, the other flip side of that same coin is then vilifying the other flock that's over here on the other side of things. Well, and vilifying because if it's not safe, then it means it's dangerous. Yep. Right? Yeah. So if I'm safe in this community, 
then the other option is dangerous. Yeah. And that's why I think unpacking fear a bit and underscoring what you're saying, that that safety, which is so primal and so an imperative force within us to find safety because otherwise we die. (laughs) So it's very powerful because it's really a life or death feeling at least. We, we perceive these realities as being life-threatening. Where do you see some of the other fear responses playing out with the pandemic? I mean, definitely, I think we can say the fight is very prevalent everywhere. You know, whether it's fighting on social media, whether mm-hmm. it's physical fights that we hear about on planes, <laughs> right? <laughs> we, we see, you know, in the streets, all of that, that's, that is a a fear response that we're seeing manifested from all of mm-hmm. this. And then the flight response can be seen, I believe, is is kind of almost an avoidance, right? Like this isn't yeah. happening. So <laughs> I'm just gonna live my life like this isn't happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or or I'm gonna go on vacation, right? I'm gonna go on vacation, pretend this isn't happening, which ended up being really hard, right? For a lot of people with that, with that survival response, right? Because everything was shut down. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then which then could turn into maybe other survival responses like shutdown. I am not going to leave my apartment at all for anything because none of that feels safe. Just me entering outside will not feel safe. But also with that, almost a, you know, the freeze is also about a dissociation or a shutdown and not being able to make a decision as well. Yeah. I was thinking about that, how we are acting and reacting and responding based on our default mode of fear. And we're really, we're learning a lot about ourselves, I think, as well. Sure. And and I do find that actually with some clients, it's funny, and I've experienced this too, where it's almost like you're in it, you notice that you are more frustrated or angrier than usual. And you're like, what is it? This can't be from this. You're like, it can't, it has to be from something else. Like something else is wrong. Right. And there's, and I've seen that in a lot of the clients that I work with, they're still kind of confused about, well, I feel this, this, and this. And it's like, you try to explain to them, (laughs) like, (laughs) yes, this is what's going on. And there is some sort of disconnect with it where it's like, really, this is from that, you know? Well, I could see someone coming to you and be like, I'm having panic attacks and anxiety disorder. You better give me a diagnosis for that. And you'd be like, um, also you're living through a pandemic. So (laughs) talk about anxiety provoking. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe minimizing the impact Mm -hmm. of what we're dealing with. Sure. And that's, and that's part of avoidance. Yeah. But the next one, fawn, is again, more of that appeasing. And I was thinking about this one because I was like, huh, how have I seen this? And one thing that comes to mind for me, there's some specific people I'm thinking about in my life that it was almost confusing because it was like, you heard this person say all these things they believed, and then they'd be acting or behaving the complete opposite. Elaborate. Can you, can you give us an example? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Without giving it away too much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we don't want to. Yes. Anonymously. Um, yeah. An example would be, you know, having a conversation with a friend. Yeah. Like, I'm really scared about this too. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Seemingly agreeing with 
maybe following CDC guidelines. Yes, like I'm fearful. Yes, I know I need to quarantine after this. Like understanding what the protocol is asking, but then completely behaving, not wearing a mask and or going to see everyone and still living life as normal. <laughs> so you're like, either live life as normal because that's that's fair <laughs> right. or else talk about those guidelines and then uphold those guidelines. But yeah, when and- you were seeing the talk and the walk were not in line. Yeah. And, and I, my guess is maybe that is a fawn response. I don't know where it's almost like an appeasing of, yes, we need to be doing this, but also not recognizing the disconnect there. Do you have one that you could share? Well, what I've been thinking about the fawn, if I acquiesce and if I comply and if I am able to endear myself to the authority, in this case, the threat, mm-hmm. then then I'll be okay, right? Because I'll be the good little citizen and then we'll be okay and this thing will all go away, which makes me think of a lot of people, sure. let's just get these jabs and we can move on with our lives, right? So let me just comply, even if sure. internally, I'm not sure that I want to have an experimental mRNA gene therapy that has no longitudinal studies in my body, but I want to just go along to get along and then the threat will go away. Sure. I acquiesce and yeah, that's that's what came to mind for me. Definitely. I think that... That definitely could be part of that. And it was it was interesting when I was looking more into Fawn, look to others for how you feel in a situation. Mm. Difficult to identify feelings even when you're alone. You often feel like you have no identity. You're constantly trying to please the people in your life. At the sign of conflict, your first instinct is to appease the angry person, mm. mm-hmm. to ignore your own beliefs, thoughts, truths, except those of the people around you. And I think that's why I was saying that's what I was seeing in this person. This person was agreeing with me because I was passionate about these things and then completely behaving in different ways. Right. So two thoughts come to mind. One is that, and I don't know the research on this, but I'd be really curious what you've come across. We probably have one response that's maybe our go-to or our typical default mode response to fear and threats. And then we may, when we're talking about a pandemic, we may have multiple fear responses that kick in, right? So that was my thought. Maybe there's a little bit of both and with this individual. Yeah. There's the fawn and then there's also the fleeing. Like, I just got to live my life. (laughs) Oh, sure. Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. No, totally. I think you're describing someone else in this situation, but I actually see that with you a bit, Kate, you had aligned with the narrative and guidelines and such. But then I also, and I'll say this as one who was over here going like, forget all that, but you were living your life. And then I know you were getting some pushback from some of your friends who were maybe looking at you like, wait a minute, why are you going down to Indiana and going to Michigan? And yeah, well, but here, here is the, the, the process that was behind that was, I also ask myself, what is in my control and what is not? And what can I use as a guide for safety? And what can I absolutely drive myself crazy trying to make sure there's no way I get this? Mm -hmm. That was not a way that I wanted to live my life. Wasn't a place where I was constantly either isolated, which was felt unsafe to me, or constantly so anxious about everything that I did, I could possibly get it. Very early on, I surrendered myself to the thought 
that I'm most likely going to get this at some point. And that's interesting, the way you put it, that you surrendered yourself to the thought, whereas I think many other people, to feel safe, they want to control as much of their environment as possible. Mm -hmm. And you were saying, I'm probably going to get this, and so I'm not going to shut down my life for the next two years. No, and I'll take safety protocols. I will take tests. I will... If I've been around someone that had COVID, I will quarantine, right? Like I will wear masks. I got the vaccine. So to me, I was still willing to take um, different protocols to try to have some safety with that. But I also for myself couldn't imagine living two full years completely, completely in my apartment. Yeah. And I think that that really leads us to something that I've not articulated with anyone, I don't think, you and I have probably touched on it. What never made sense for me, although I understand that we all were doing the mental gymnastics necessary to, as you've pointed out in this conversation, to feel safe, whatever that would mean for whatever person. It's gonna be different for all of us, as you've touched on. But everyone (laughs) made up their own rules, right? I mean, in the midst of 2020, when this thing was like, ah, and especially in Chicago, you guys were like, oh my gosh. And then Indiana, we're a little bit more low key. You guys were coming down to hang out with me in the summer. (laughs) And like people wear masks, but then they get to my house who they haven't seen me in two months. I could have COVID for all they know. And then no masks. I mean, it's like... I'm not aware there's incongruency. You feel like there was well, incongruency. Well, yeah, and, I don't, and I'm glad because I didn't want masks in my house. But sure. the idea is like, well, we're friends, so we don't have to wear masks. But if I see some random person at the grocery store, let me put the mask up because my friend's not going to give me Rona, but the person at the grocery like, so there's been a lot of, and then the mask, people wear them improperly. So, I mean, it, before the research even came out that showed <laughs> that, that masks, ma- that well, come on. I'm thinking about that nose sticking out. <laughs> Well, the nose is sticking out. Then have you seen this? This is funny. When people really want to tell you something, they pull it down and they're right up in your face. And they're like, because what they want to say is very important. And frankly, we need facial expressions to communicate. So it's like watching people do this. And then me getting yelled at by the flight attendant for not having my mask on in between sips of my coffee on the plane. And I'm thinking, you have HEPA filters. You're telling me that this cabin is as pure as an OR. And if it were all that bad, why would you put me next to this rando guy? I'm literally like two inches away from this person. I mean, it just... Yeah, I I hear you. Oh, and the restaurant. When you walk up to the host stand, you better have the mask on and you walk 10 feet to your table. Once you sit down at your table for three hours, you can sit there with the mask on. See, it just, it's not adding up, people. And... Getting back to my point, (laughs) I got a soapbox, but my point was we all made up some sort of rules that made sense for us and no shame in that game, right? Like you said, it's all about safety, but Mm -hmm. let's not pretend that it was all logical and it all science-based. Can we just not pretend that? Sure. And, you know, I had a lot of friends who still would not go out to public places for a long time, even when we were able to with masks and all of these protocols because of that, because probably in their mind, they're like, what's that going to do? I could still get it. Yeah. Right. And that was what was safe for them. Yeah. And I knew and know every time you did come across someone or you were interacting with someone, you always had a risk. Always. Even if you were wearing a mask. (laughs) Especially the way we wear them. (laughs) Yeah. I never did the nose thing, girl. I never did the nose thing. <laughs> Maybe after a couple of drinks. Um, <laughs> but 
Yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. And I think it's just when you're saying, right, like when you're saying this doesn't make sense, I would go to all of the things we've just been talking about, (laughs) right? Right. Like people are trying to figure out the best ways that they can still live and also feel some sense of safety. Yeah. And that the part that got hard is that people would make up their own rules for them in their head that made sense, but then they'd get mad at you if you didn't comply with their rules in their head. And I'm like, well, your rules in your head don't make sense for me in my head. And that doesn't make me evil. But that's kind of where we are. We went to that flocking. Like, where's my flock? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) My flock, my people think like me. And then here we are with a divide. And here we are talking about it. Well, and, you know, Karen, my hope is with this, right? Like just sharing some of this, like the groundwork for understanding the survival system. My hope is that it can help soften people from where they're coming from right? Mm -hmm. And to start having some empathy. You know, there's not one person that has all the answers or has the complete truth. For sure. And maybe I shouldn't say that. Is that too broad? (laughs) No. (laughs) Maybe that's coming too much from my own background, but. No, I don't think anyone on any side should be that arrogant to think that they know exactly what's going down right now. (laughs) Right. But my hope is ultimately that understanding we are all human. We all have our survival response some of us might not even be aware that we have a survival response. And taking that in consideration, taking a step back, reflecting for yourself, what are my values here? Who are my safe people in my life? And how can I continue? Because, you know, my understanding, this is my value, right? My value is connection and love. I personally feel that I am here to have connection and relationships with others. So how can I do that with also having my own sense of safety and also allowing the other person to have a sense of safety and then having some dialogue? And that comes with great trust. You know, we've, the two of us have had our journey together and some surprises and some frustration and some anger. And I think to both of our credit, I think we've come to a place of, you know, we value each other. We have been each other's safety for much of our life. That's not just going to end. I I personally will not just let that end because we disagree or see something differently or even have different survival responses. I'm really thankful for that because I don't sense that many other people are willing to have these conversations currently. That may be true. And and actually my experience would be the same, even with people that I actually have a lot in common with. Yeah. Sometimes I sense even myself a fear to even question or bring up different points of view. Again, going back to that primal fear, right? That primal fear of disconnection, that primal Mm -hmm. fear of, What if I'm not accepted? What if I don't belong? Right? Mm -hmm. Where's going to be my safety group? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you are a part of my safety group and they are a part of my safety group. And I think it's up for everyone to speak to their own safety. What might be safe for me to talk about might not be safe for another person to talk about because they have their own experiences 
just as we do. It's so great connecting with all of you via the podcast, and I would love to meet you IRL. If your organization is looking for a speaker for your next event, check out my website, go to the speaking page, and see the content that I love to talk about. Just like on the podcast, in my speeches, I cover a wide array of topics grounded in psych research, of course. I'd love to meet you and share strategies for thriving in all realms of love and life with you and your organization. I cannot recommend Dr. Karen enough as your speaker at your event. As my keynote speaker, she completely set the tone of compassion, self-love, and authenticity that bled into everything we did for the rest of the event. She was incredibly prepared and present and went above and beyond when it came to sharing the event with her audience. Her knowledge, magnetic energy, and expertise while on stage is one thing. It will be everything you'd hope for and more for your audience. But her giving spirit and willingness to do more than simply show up when it's time to go on is icing on the cake. She walks her talk, and by the end of working with her, I was wishing she lived down the block from me for weekly meetups. For more information and to book me to speak at your next event, contact my producer, Tim May. Tim at loveandlifemedia.com. So how have you, because again, I don't think you're normal. <laughs> I don't think you're, you're, you're <laughs> pretty. I should take this compliment or what? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, you absolutely should. A hundred percent. You absolutely should take that as a compliment because I don't think your experience having people in your inner circle be so, so polarized in terms of their viewpoints. You have made a concerted effort. And again, it goes to values, which we're going to talk about next week. But it's hard to parse these all out because they all are intertwined, right? Our beliefs fuel our fear and our fear can be overcome to a degree based on our values. If I can say to myself, the fear is real. Also, I don't want to let my fear destroy my relationships. That's a threat to safety too. Yes, it is. I'm very, I have my heart in my throat. I've had some, not with you. I mean, but sometimes I do get nervous when we're texting because I'm like, I want to be honest and I love her. And I know that she doesn't want some watered down version of me as a friend. And yet I get nervous because I'm like, but what if honesty destroys something that's very precious to me? Right. So it's, it's so, it's so intense. It is is intense. Yeah. But how have you done this? For the listener who's going, wow, I love Kate's energy. She's clearly so empathic. Relationships matter. They matter to me too. But I, they're not sure how to navigate these waters the way that you have. Share with them some ideas for keeping those bonds genuine and honest and close, even in the midst of differing opinions. Well, I think I've had the privilege of being able to make that a part of my career and skills that I'm teaching and learning about every day. These are things that I am sharing with others and working with others side by side. And so, you know, I've had to do my own work. Anything that I'm teaching or sharing about how to, you know, manage relationships and communicate, right? And for me, I have to be authentic with that practice too. I can't just say, here's what to do and I'm not going to follow the same thing. So I want to be authentic 
And I have taken a lot of the things I've learned from so many experts and tried to apply them in my life as well. And one of the main things is being able to pause and reflect, right? Question myself, question some of my values. And I, I specifically remember having to make this choice, to be honest with you. I was in the midst of just having my automatic response, as we all were. And I think, Karen, you and I had a talk. And I think I was really personally surprised by some of the things that you shared and surprised that we didn't agree. I think that's what surprised me. And I know you were just as much in shock too, right? I think Dan came in and we were both like (laughs) silent and he's like, what's happening? Uh, You know, and I was like, you know, so, but it really almost surprised me so much that it made me take a step back. And I was like, wait, hold on, hold on here. Like I got to process this because to be honest, most of the people in my daily life have similar views, really do have similar views. Yes, there's maybe some differences here and there, but regarding the pandemic and all this stuff, pretty similar views. And I think I just, it was this expectation that, oh, of course, Karen agrees with me. I mean, we're besties. Why wouldn't we agree? You know, as I've taken the time to listen to you, a lot of it makes sense to me, (laughs) you know, like, like, oh, well, yeah, of course. Like, of course, Karen would think this, right? Like considering all these different things and She's a very, does her research and very committed to research and asking whys and uncomfortable whys. And that's actually something I really respect in you as a friend and as an old, you know, my old college professor. I, I have a res- deep respect for you and a deep love for you. And so I had to actively make a choice and say, okay, how am I going to manage this? What are my values? And I decided that for me, my connection with you and or anyone that comes across my path, my value is I want to be empathic, I want to be loving, and I want to listen because I know I don't know everything. I know that. So it was a lot of just self-reflection and an actual choice that I made. And it doesn't mean that it's always easy either, right? Just like any type of conflict or relationship that you're in, right? It, it doesn't make it easy. There's going to be times where you're going to frustrate me or I'm going to frustrate you, right? And we need a cool off period. <laughs> <laughs> what? I Sometimes I just don't text back for a day because I, what? You call me avoidantly attached? <laughs> <laughs> you call yourself that. No. <laughs> I was laughing at myself. I was like, that's kind of an avoidant attachment move. And I claim to be secure, but left ass day. No, but to be honest with you, I've known you for so long. I was like, okay, she needs, she needs time. And that's okay. And that's okay. We have to be able to have that and or ask for that. That That is safety. You know, I think that safety of being able to say, I can't do this right now. I, this is too much for me. My stress overload is too much and I might not say some nice things. And so in my value protecting our relationship, I need to, I need some time. Yeah. That stress empathy balance, as you spoke to in the beginning of the episode, what would you say to someone who would say, Kate, that's beautiful, but I find, and maybe it's a self-regulation thing, weaving that theme through again. They might say, I love my friends, but I just can't go there with them. Like I can. And maybe, yeah. And then getting back to avoidant attachment, which we recently talked about on the podcast with Elliot. What would you say to those people who would say, I love how Kate has been managing and moving through this with her relationships, but I just can't because I just start losing my mind. And I just, I know that I'm going to start saying things and 
getting angry with them for not seeing things my way? Or what would you say? I would say that's actually okay because there's maybe a reason. And I guess I would ask them, I guess the only thing I would ask them would be to reflect on their own values, on what matters most to them about those relationships. And, And here's the thing, those may not be safe relationships. They might not be relationships that will be able to hear them. That's, I think, a responsible choice for their own self-care to say, actually, I can't talk about this with so-and-so because I, I feel unheard and I feel disrespected and everyone has to make their own decision with that. Yeah. So it is so tied to our values for sure. And that's, like I said, we're going to talk about that next week, but maybe you got to come back and talk about values <laughs> because you have such a nice handle on values. You would do so much work with ACT, acceptance and commitment therapy. So if anyone's interested in understanding how values are such a massive part of our, our thinking, our behaving in ways that we sometimes aren't fully aware until we do some values clarification work. Yeah. So the value of, of listening. And I think as I'm just in the midst of this, trying to process my own response and the responses of those I love, and like you being surprised from time to time that people I assumed would think one way are thinking, wow, the exact opposite way. I look at those values. I would say some people would probably, if you sat down with them, let's see, 2019, okay, before all this this happened and said, give me some of your core values. They would have said empathy. They would have said listening and truly understanding various points of view. They would have said diversity of thought is a value of mine. And yet now maybe that, maybe they're not comfortable listening to another perspective. And again, I think as I'm speaking through this, I think it just goes back to sometimes in some cases, maybe the listening feels too unsafe to listen. Yeah, that's that's actually where I was going to go with that too. Okay. You know, and, and that's okay. That's kind of like where the person is. And that's why I think it's really worthwhile to, like I just pray that this conversation gets in the hands of anyone who needs it because I think to understand their own resistance. And I, I put myself in there too. Like we all have a resistance to anything that challenges our choices we've made and certainly choices that have been sadly so polarized and the choice to, in my case, not do something has then become threatened by mandates and things. So yeah, but it's interesting. Uh, I remember one time when you said that you were with a group of friends and they were like, do you know anyone who's unvaccinated? <laughs> and you were like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, and then they were like, what? And you're like, oh, that's Karen. She, there's no way she was going to do that. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> hated Big Pharma for 25 years. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, how could I think anything different, right? You know, but it's, yeah, I just, I I really hope that people will pause. People will really reflect on their own values. I, I hope they'll also just take the time to regulate and reflect on their own actions, their own behaviors, on whether it's helpful or not in their life. How is this behavior going to help me in my relationships? And and I do think I do think a value, whether people really realize it or not, because it's part of our primal biology, is is connection. Right. 
If you have just a few seconds to help me out, I would so appreciate it. You can do so by heading over to Apple Podcasts, giving us a five-star rating and a few sentences of review that helps others find the program and join the Love and Life family. Another thing that I think you will appreciate (laughs) is some CBT guidance too that I've had to really kind of hone in myself again is going through those thought distortions. Yes. Like going through them. Okay. Like with this, you know, is this all or nothing? Am I minimizing? Am I catastrophizing? Right. Like going through all of those things, because as you know, as I know, a lot of those thought distortions can increase stress and anxiety and depression in people. So really, I think also being mindful of those thought distortions, going through some of those Socratic questions, where's the evidence for this? You know, is this based in emotion? Is this based on fact? Let's talk about some of these that may be at work when someone's struggling with some connection and relationship problems based on pandemic realities. I think the one, I mean, if we're looking specifically at the thought distortions, I definitely think one which is totally visible to everyone right now is just the all or nothing thinking. Okay. And we could look at that with even just the vaccine. Mm -hmm. That if you are unvaccinated, this means you are this, 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 and this. And if you are vaccinated, this means you are this, this, and this, and this. It's not black and white. And when we tend to think in black and white, we're more prone to have thoughts that are more stressful and thoughts that are more depressing and anxious thoughts in general. Mm-hmm. Let's take the Socratic questions. Okay. Um, so what's the thought to be questioned? That people, people who are unvaccinated are selfish. Well, I would question that myself. <laughs> I don't see myself <laughs> as a selfish person. I know you would. And, and so basically yeah. the Socratic questioning would say, what is the evidence for this thought? What is the evidence against it? Am I basing this thought on facts or on feelings? Is this thought black and white when in reality it's more complicated? Could I be misinterpreting the evidence? Am I making any assumptions? Might other people have different interpretations of this same situation and what could they be? Am I looking at all of the evidence or just what supports my thought? Could my thought be an exaggeration of what's true? Am I having this thought out of habit or do the facts support it? Did someone pass this thought or belief to me? And if so, a reliable source. And is my thought a likely scenario or is it the worst case scenario? So that's just some of the Socratic questions to really think through when we're really making these really black or white statements, all or nothing statements about people and judgments really about people. I love those questions. I think they are so useful. I feel like we should all have like a little cheat sheet of those questions in our purse and pull it out when things get a little tense. I I mean, I do it. I do it. And I, I have my clients do it too. If there's just, you know, one negative thought that just keeps persisting, Walk yourself through those questions and usually you'll be able to find a little distance between mm-hmm. between that thought and making it so much a reality or so much fused to that person or even to yourself. 
So an example I would think of, and Kate, walk me through it. Help me Socratically question. I have a perception that currently it's maddening to me and irrational, in fact, that we would silence a doctor who has, say, 35, 40 years of experience in his field, which is relevant to the pandemic. And yet his viewpoint may go against the CDC and FDA guidelines, and he gets pulled off Twitter. Help me Socratically make sense of that, because that actually really infuriates me. So what's the thought to be questioned? The thought to be questioned is, I don't live in a free society anymore because an expert can get pulled off a public communication platform. Yeah, that's pretty specific. Okay. (laughs) So what is it? I don't live in a free society anymore? No, it doesn't feel like a free society. No. Okay. So that's the thought to be questioned? Okay. Okay. So what is the evidence for that thought? And what what is the evidence against that thought? The evidence is that people get canceled and Joe Rogan gets yelled at for having an expert speak. Sure. And then what about against it? What would be evidenced against that? Well, the Joe Rogan, the podcast is still available as of now anyway. Okay. So the podcast is still available. Am I basing that on facts or on feelings? Um, I'm basing it on facts, but I definitely have feelings involved. (laughs) Is the thought black and white when in reality it's more complicated? That's a good question. I think it's very black and white in my mind. But I understand. Here's where I would go into another direction based on fear. I would say I understand that people are not operating from a place of malice or evil or trying to squelch freedom. They're operating from a place of fear because opposing viewpoints feel scary to them and they think people are going to die. I understand that's where they're coming from. Sure. Sure. Could you be misinterpreting the evidence or are you making any assumptions? Mm, the evidence is pretty clear. Robert Malone is no longer on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Any? Are you making any assumptions about any of that? And again, going back to, are we no living in a free society? Well, my assumption is that all viewpoints would be able to be expressed in a free society. And some people would say, well, no, not all viewpoints should be expressed in a free society. And they always give the example of like, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And I don't think that's a strong parallel, but that's the example that's given a lot. But with the thought of we no longer live in a free society, are you making any assumptions about that? Yeah, the assumption is that people are able to speak their mind and and share their expertise. And that that is part of freedom. Might other people have different interpretations of the same situation? And what are they? For sure. It gets back to what I said a moment ago. They, they feel it's a crisis. It's a pandemic. And desperate times call for desperate measures. So normally they might be okay with a doctor sharing his expertise and, and differing viewpoint, but not during a pandemic because people are dying. Am I looking at all the evidence or just what supports my thought? I definitely have a confirmation bias. I will acknowledge that. Okay. Could my thought be an exaggeration of what's true? Again, the thought of that we don't live in a society that's free anymore. That's a bit hyperbolic. (laughs) I would admit admit that. (laughs) Okay. Um, Are you having this thought out of habit or do the facts support it? No, it's a new thought because I used to think I lived in in the land of the free and I'm not feeling that so much right now, especially because I can't get a cup of coffee or eat a meal or go see Elton John in Chicago. So, okay. Did someone pass this thought belief to me? And if so, are they a reliable source? No, I don't think anyone passed this, this part of my belief system onto me. 
Okay. And is my thought a likely scenario or is it the worst case scenario? It's veering toward the worst case scenario. And I really hope we shake things up and get back to uh, freedom of expression in the First Amendment. So would you say then if it's veering towards the worst case scenario that maybe there's some fear there? Oh, for sure. Oh, definitely. And that's what, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, therapist. Yeah. Some hard stuff, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Well, Kate, I want to thank you for helping us explore fear, especially when we are, when our biological response, like Dr. Perry was saying, may hijack some of our reason and our ability to think through things with a more calm and measured approach to understand maybe some of our own responses and reactions over the last couple of years. So thank you so much for helping us do a deep dive into, into fear. And I hope you'll join us next week to talk about values as it relates to all this. Sounds great. I'd love to. Great. Thanks. The love and life hack for this week is how do you respond to fear and how might this response have influenced your interpretation and experience of what we've gone through the last couple of years and how some of the conflict and dissension we may be feeling with those we love might be rooted in our differing responses to fear. Thank you as always for joining us today. I hope this episode has felt supportive, clarifying, and empathic. Let us know if there are any other topics you want us to cover as it relates to the pandemic or all the things. You can find me at drkarin, D-R dot K-A-R-I-N on Instagram or at my website, loveandlifemedia.com. You can click the ask a question tab. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson April. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson April.